Hey, a quick message for those of you who are listening to this episode on Spotify. I have a small favor to ask. Spotify now allows mobile users to rate podcasts. I would really appreciate it if you can take a quick pause to go to the Techly Journal podcast page and leave your favorite show, your best rating, on Spotify. It will help me a lot to get this podcast to reach more people on the platform. Thanks a lot. Today's clip is from Techly Journal episode 90 with Robert C. Martin, more widely known as Uncle Bob. In this clip, Uncle Bob shared some insights from his latest book, Clean Craftsmanship. He shared the current major challenge of the software development industry as a young discipline, which drove Uncle Bob writing the book to help define disciplines, standards, and ethics for software craftsmanship. He also touched on the five key disciplines of clean craftsmanship. So Uncle Bob, you have written a number of books, but today we're going to cover mostly from your latest book, which is titled Clean Craftsmanship. The Disciplines, Standards, and Ethics. I think if I'm not mistaken, you have been writing this even long ago, maybe through blog posts and some of the webinars and conferences that you did. But maybe if you can give us some overview of what are the reasons that now actually you wrote this book. Clean Craftsmanship. The book is a culmination of a lot of topics. So I've started writing books in 1995, 1994. I wrote books about software design, object-oriented design. I wrote a book in 2002, which was Agile Software Development Principles, Patterns, and Practices. That really brought all of the design principles and all the practices and design patterns all together in a nice, neat little bow. And then I started writing books like Clean Code. And that was a difficult book for me to decide to write, because who am I to tell anybody what Clean Code is? I'm just a programmer. But I figured somebody has to write this book. So I wrote it with the caveat at the beginning that, you know, this is my way. I do it this way. You don't have to do it this way. It's just, you know, after 50 years of programming, maybe you want to listen to what I have to say. As I was writing that book, there were a whole bunch of topics I wanted to talk about, but they didn't fit into that book because Clean Code is a very technical book. And I wanted to talk about all the non-technical things. So I had a whole bunch of topics I wanted to talk about. Once I published Clean Code, I wrote the Clean Coder. It just kind of spilled out, right? All this stuff that was stuck in my brain just kind of spilled out. The Clean Coder is all the non-technical things about being a programmer. Like, what do you do when you go to work? You've just had a big fight with your significant other. You cannot get your brain to focus on code. How do you deal with that? That's the kind of stuff that's in that book. How do you estimate? How do you deal with managers? All that stuff. I wrote that book. And then I started to get this idea that we needed to address Agile. The Agile community had begun in like 1999 and the manifesto was signed in 2001. And then all the consultants jumped in and they kind of corrupted, not the right word, but they got involved and they stretched the whole discipline out. And I thought it's time for a reboot there. So I wrote the Clean Agile book as a way to just reset and describe what Agile was and how we got there and why we got there and where we should go. And as I was writing that book, I thought, well, there's a whole bunch of other things I want to say about this, but they're not really tied to Agile. They're more about the notion of craftsmanship. I put all those topics aside. And then when I was done with Clean Agile, I thought, okay, I've got to write this craftsmanship book. 
The craftsmanship book was kind of an odd mixture of deeply technical topics, very technical topics, having to do with test-driven development and refactoring. And then also this kind of pullback to say, okay, we need some standards and we need some ethics to try and balance this whole thing out. A programmer is a deeply technical person, but has to be governed by non-technical concepts, including standards and ethics. So that book kind of ties all of those things together into a nice, neat little bow. If you read that book, it starts out really technical. It's probably one of the most technical books I have written. In fact, there was so much technical stuff in it, I had to put some of it on video. So as you're reading the book, it refers you to videos that you can watch. And then as the book progresses, it shifts into standards. What are the standards we try to uphold while we are doing all this deeply technical work? And then once we get through the standards, the book shifts again and says, okay, now what are the ethical situations that drive those standards? So the book proceeds from disciplines, deeply technical disciplines, then to the standards that drive those disciplines, and then to the ethics that drive those standards. And that was the way I completed that book. So if I may add, there's actually one book that you missed, which is Clean Architecture. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot book. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that book is also deeply technical and it talks about clean architecture, like ports adapters and that kind of stuff. So I think that's also worth to mention. So you mentioned about programmer being a technical person. They should have the technical practices. They should have standards and ethics. And if you compare it with other profession, like maybe doctor, pilot, lawyer, and all that, programmers seem do not have those kind of things. Which is why I think in the beginning of the chapters of the book, you wrote about this problem. Developer now is like coming from different backgrounds. They maybe go to the boot camp. They just learn how to do those technical stuff, but not necessarily the standards and all these ethics that make them the real profession. So tell us more about these problems that you see, maybe from your consulting point of view, or maybe from recent days that you see the programmers these days. What is the current state of the programmer's job? Software is a very young discipline. I want to use the word profession, but it's not a profession because there's nothing that we profess. A profession is the assemblage of standards and disciplines and ethics. The professionals profess those things. and We don't have that. That's just because we're a young discipline. We are very young. The first line of code that executed on an electronic computer is just a little bit older than I am. Alan Turing wrote a little bit of assembly language in a machine in 1946 or 1945. That's just not that long ago. To complicate that, the need for programmers has accelerated exponentially. As the number of computers has accelerated exponentially, so has the need for programmers. So the number of programmers in the world doubles every five years. It's pretty stark. The number of programmers in the world doubles every five years or so, which means that half the programmers in the world have less than five years experience. And this will remain true as long as we are doubling every five years. And that leaves our industry in a state of perpetual inexperience. There is no way for us to accumulate the standards and the ethics because they're not taught in school. And they're not taught on the job. There is no way to accumulate those things. The people who could accumulate them, the people with a lot of experience, 20 or 30 years experience in the field, barely exist. Because 20 or 30 years ago, there were hardly any programmers. 
So it's a fundamental problem of how do we mature an industry that is dominated by 22-year-olds? We're going to have to solve that problem because our civilization is now in a state where it depends on us for its existence. If there were not programmers now, our civilization would collapse. So we have to somehow get this idea of standards and ethics, a real profession into our minds, into our brains. So that was the reason I wrote the book. I wrote the book so that I could start that process. The standards and the ethics that I talk about in that book are just my concepts. They may not be the end result. Other people should take that and massage it and change it. But at least I think it's a seed. It's some place to begin. Thanks for taking this precedent. Thanks also for sharing this history. To me, it's an insight. So I'm still considered young. I mean, my profession, I didn't know actually like 75 years ago when the first program is written and then up to now, actually the number of developers keep growing and growing exponentially. Like you said, the numbers of experienced people are not that many. Even if they are, they are just maybe in some parts of the world, their knowledge is not spread. It's just like so many people churn out from university, go into the engineering job. And that's why we are in this state of like what you say is perpetual inexperience where we try to learn from doing, right? Not necessarily from someone who has done it before, which brings us to the concept of craftsmanship. So your title of the book is Clean Craftsmanship. Maybe in the beginning, if we can clarify, what do you mean by this craftsmanship? The simplest way to describe craftsmanship is pride of workmanship. If you're a programmer, do you go home at night every day and look in the mirror and say to yourself, I did a really good job. I'm proud of the work I did today. Not only did I write software that worked, but I wrote it well. And I wrote it in a good way. The process I followed was a good process. Do you go home and feel good about yourself and good about your job? Or do you have to go home and take a shower? And far too many programmers have to go home and take a shower because they've gotten caught into this very dominant mindset that speed overrides everything. You must program fast. And they get caught in this trap of thinking that speed comes from rushing. Now, the opposite is actually true. If you rush, you will slow down. But you can't feel that because you feel the rushing. You feel the tension in your body. You feel the tension in your mind. It feels like you're going fast. You're not. You're actually going slow. And the way to go fast is to slow down and take your time and not make dumb mistakes and use a nice deliberate process and keep everything clean. That's the way you go fast. Very difficult concept for especially young programmers to internalize. Once you've done it for 20 years, then you realize, oh yeah, I'm going to spend eight days debugging this mess and some other guy is going to spend eight days debugging the mess I made. If I rush like a crazy person right now, maybe I should take my time and do this in a nice orderly way. And that way everybody can continue to go fast. Craftsmanship is that mindset. It is the mindset that you are working on something important and you are going to do it well. <laughs> so I just want to add this phrase. Just now you mentioned every programmer went home and then take a shower, right? For those of you who are wondering why take a shower, 
Because in your book, you mentioned that they feel dirty because of the dirty job that they're doing with their code. So just to give a context why every programmer went home and take a shower is because of that. <laughs> the software craftsmanship that you mentioned here is very important, I think. I myself are guilty of doing so much of this rushing and also bad code and also trying to meet the deadlines. So you wrote a software craftsmanship manifesto as well. I think this is also very important for those of you programmers here who listen. Maybe you should check it out and try to instill that mindset like Uncle Bob mentioned here and try to do your job well. So that's the message here. The software craftsmanship manifesto. I was there when it was written, but I did not write it. That was other people who collaborated to put that message together, which if I remember correctly, there's a website, softwarecraftsmanship.org or something like that. I can't remember. I was there at the time and I nodded sagely as everybody talked, but I didn't really contribute much. Thanks for that clarification. So let's go to the first thing from your clean craftsmanship, which is the discipline. So yes. you mentioned these are the technical portion of the things, and I think it's worth to mention all of the disciplines here. Maybe can you give an overview? What are the disciplines that you advocate in the book? The book begins with a very, very deep discussion on test-driven development. I focused heavily on this because as we have learned over the last 20 years, it is a very rich discipline. There's a lot in test-driven development. It began with this silly idea that you write unit tests first and then you make them pass, right? And you get caught into a nice tight little loop where you write a little test and it fails and you write a little code and you make it pass and then you write a little more test and then you write a little bit more code. Over the years, we started to learn how to do this well. And it turned out to be non-trivial. <laughs> turned out that there's a lot of twisty little turns and there's a lot of complication. Once you internalize all of that, it makes an enormous difference on the way you write code. I mean, it's a transformative kind of discipline. So I spend a lot of time on that discipline, especially exploring the advanced concepts. To my knowledge, there are no books out there right now that talk about these advanced ideas in test-driven development. So I think that book is the first one to really attach those ideas, these advanced ideas in test-driven development. I also spend a fair bit of time on the notion of refactoring. The two are brother and sister to each other. You cannot refactor without test-driven development. And the whole reason you're doing test-driven development is so that you can refactor. And the goal of refactoring is to create a better design better code, better structure to your code, better design code, better architecture. So these two are deeply intertwined. I talk a fair bit about that in the book. And then I talk about simple design, the basic rules for what design is and what should be motivating design at the very lowest levels. And I draw very much from the work of Kent Beck and Ron Jeffries in that particular discussion. I don't go into design principles. That's a higher level topic. This is like, what is design at the very lowest level? What are the simplest things that we can say that define the qualities of good design? And then I talk a little bit about collaborative programming, pair programming, starting to back away from technology so much and starting to get into the interpersonal parts of programming. One of the things that programmers are very good at is deep focus. Deep focus generally requires that you work alone. Because if you're working with someone else, it's very hard to deeply focus because that person's always interrupting you. It's always getting in your way. 
there is need for deep focus. It's a good thing to be able to deeply focus, but it's also a good thing to sit back and with someone else at your side, walk through the code and co-author the code and share knowledge and build code that is a collaborative effort. So I talk a fair bit about that as the last of the disciplines. If you look carefully at those disciplines, those four that I just mentioned, test-driven development, refactoring, simple design, and collaborative programming, those are the inner circle of the circle of life diagram that Ron Jeffries put out 20 years ago describing Agile. So Agile is composed of three circles. And in the book, Clean Agile, I talked about the outer two circles, the business-facing practices and the team-facing practices. In this book, Clean Craftsmanship, I talk about the inner circle of the circle of life, all of the engineering practices, the engineering disciplines. And then one more discipline, which is acceptance tests, right? So which are the outer part of the inner circle. So maybe if you can give an overview of that as well. The acceptance test discipline is actually part of the middle circle, the team practices, but it is a deeply technical discipline because it involves the writing of tests at a business level. And that oddly makes it technical, but technical in the sense that the business people, the QA people and the business analysts must be able to state the requirements of the system in formal detail. And that's what an acceptance test is. An acceptance test is the statement of a requirement written formally in enough detail so that there's nothing left to the imagination of the programmer as far as the behavior of the system is concerned. You would like the business to specify the behavior of the program. You'd like the programmer to implement the behavior of the program with a structure that can tolerate change and take it into the future. But you want the business specifying that behavior. And one of the problems we have had in this industry for the last 50 years or more is that the business does not want to dive into enough detail to specify the behavior of the system. So they leave all the really terrible low-level detail to the programmers. And that's where we get into some real problems. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned this very insightful state of the industry, right? Where it's always the programmers that wrote all this implementation of the specifications. There's no business rules that actually the BA or the product manager these days, there's no BA in some of the startups these days, is the product manager or the QA. They don't actually write these specifications in the formal details, but actually just give maybe a doc or just verbally mention it. So I think this is a very good distinction so that we always have to get the same understanding of the business rules and programmers also understand what is it that they're trying to implement. I hope you enjoyed this short clip from TechLead Journal favorite playlist. If you find this episode useful, please help share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would also benefit from listening to this episode. And if you want to listen more from this conversation, please go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest. Stay tuned for the next Tech Lead Journal episode, and until then, goodbye.